Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shante, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. Listeners, we are going to launch into another series, and this one is going to be a longer one. It's going to be a four-part series, but I can tell you it has been a long time coming. I have known for a very long time, even from the start of this podcast, like all the way back in season one, I knew that we would eventually get to this series. And it's one I could do with my eyes closed. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I didn't have to do a lot of like digging for like source material and reach for it. Because this is a topic that I am all too familiar with. And before we get into our series, we have a guiding scripture and it is from Psalms 34, 18. And it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Some versions say near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So for the next few episodes, we are going to be talking about mama trauma, healing from wounds inflicted by your mother. And let me say, as Mother's Day is coming up and approaching, some of you have bomb diggity relationships with your mother. You'd be like, that is my queen. She is my A1 day one. That is my ace in the hole. She is my bestie. Like I call my mama for everything. She's my favorite girl. You know, like that song, I'll always love my mama. Uh, she's my favorite girl. You only get one, you only get one. I mean, there's so many songs about mama and it is, it's, it's well-deserved. I mean, being a mother is a lot of work it is tremendous sacrifice and if out of that work and sacrifice you have come to have this healthy and loving and endearing relationship with your mother that is dope I hey that is what's up (laughs) I hope my daughter has great things to say about me with respect to my mothering as you know down down the years and she looks back at it and she's like you know what my mama was all right at the same time there are many 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 people who do not have that kind of relationship with their mother there are many people who have strained estranged complicated relationships with their mothers and so that is what we are going to be talking about. So this is not going to be a, a mama trashing type of podcast because, you know, that's just not how I roll. That's not what I do. But my concern is always for the listener. I believe that your mother is a person who is going to be who she is going to be. And she's a grown woman that's going to make choices about her life and her relationships And you are also a grown person that needs to make choices about your life and your relationships. And my hope is that after this series, you will have some tools, some insight, some context that you can use to heal from some of those things. If you have experienced trauma or difficulty in your childhood that is directly related to your mother. And so today we are going to be talking about mama trauma defined. You are going to hear my story. So I'm finally going to tell the tale (laughs) and give you some insight about how this sets us up for next week, Uh, specifically what happened to us just neurologically with respect to trauma. So let's get into it. Mama trauma. So let's start with our definitions. Mama trauma refers to the lasting effects of wounds 
that are inflicted by mothers that result in the child feeling small, unworthy, like a burden, broken, or flawed. Okay, so mama trauma refers to the lasting effects of wounds that are inflicted by mothers that result in the child feeling small, unworthy, like a burden, broken, or flawed. And I say the child because essentially that's where a lot of these messages and these wounds tend to happen. They tend to happen in childhood and then we grow up and they manifest themselves in all kinds of ways with respect to our relationships, our communications, the way that we interact with other people. Like it's amazing how critical those early years are with respect to how we grow and develop and make meaning out of the world. Because think about it babies when you think about we'll get into this next week more so but when you think about the baby's brain those neurons are developing new ways of knowing all the time and they are just constantly trying to make meaning okay what does that facial expression mean what is that thing that they keep trying to put in my mouth okay that's the bottle that's where the milk comes from you know like so they're constantly trying to make meaning of things they're constantly trying to decipher what things mean And so when babies or children are abused or they're neglected or any number of things, they begin to make those kind of concrete associations and they carry those associations with them for a long time until and unless some other pattern of way or way of being comes along and negates that and challenges that and says, oh, okay, all adults are not like that. Just some adults are like that. Or maybe just that one adult is like that. And I will tell you, Mama trauma does not get a lot of airtime. It certainly does not get a lot of airtime in black communities. And I know that I have non-black listeners and I appreciate you so much, but I'm specifically speaking about the fact that, that wounds inflicted by mothers, they really do not get a lot of airtime in black communities because there is a lot of shame wrapped up in the dynamics of not having a good relationship with your mother. There's a lot of shame wrapped up in the dynamics of not thinking well of or speaking well of your mother because people in the black community will clap back at you like, what? That's your mama. What? I can't believe you said that about your mama. Man, you bogus. That's your mama. Or your mama could do whatever she want. Your mama could say whatever she want. We're going we gonna to talk about that. We're going we gonna to push back on that a little bit. And so because there's so much shame wrapped up in that, then a lot of us tend to shrink or we just grin and bear it. You know, we'll smile for the, for the picture. We'll play the role. We will go along to get along. But the truth is, a lot of people don't like to visit mama. <laughs> they don't like to see their name on the caller ID. And when they do see it, they feel triggered or they feel like they have to take a deep breath or they start thinking, what does she want? You know, that sort of thing. And when you say those things out loud, you tend to get a lot of judgment from people who don't know the context, don't understand the context or are too eager to readily explain away the context. And I understand, you know, your mama is your mama and all kinds of gratitude for bringing you into the world, but I'm a big quality of life person. I don't think it's enough just to have life. I'm like Jesus and have it to the full and have it more abundantly. So just getting here is, don't get me wrong, props for that. But what happened after the child gets here means a lot too. I think it's equally as important as as getting here. 
And so that said, toxic is toxic. Trauma is trauma. The wounds are real. Even if your mom was doing the best she could with what she had and what she knew at the time, it does not negate the consequences. It doesn't negate the results. It doesn't negate things like abuse and neglect or inconsistent care or narcissism or any number of things, you know, verbal abuse, all kinds of things that can happen. And so I want to put this in context and tell you a little bit about my childhood growing up. So I was about to like joke. I was about to be like, I was born by the river in a little tent. Let me stop. Okay. (laughs) I was born on the South side of Chicago and I was born to a young mother. I think my mom was like 18, 19 or 18, just about to be 19. And I can tell you as someone who is a mother and had their child in their late twenties, motherhood is no joke. No matter when you had the baby, you had a baby as a teen or you had the baby in your twenties or thirties, having this little life, it's it having that little life and the responsibility for that little life is an overwhelming sensation. I don't care how much you want kids, how badly you want kids. Those little humans are a lot to manage. And in fact, when my daughter was two weeks old, I was sitting up there trying to rock her to sleep. And I said to myself, I will never do this again. (laughs) And it wasn't because she was a bad baby. She was not a bad baby. But the reality, I said, I cannot do anything until and unless this child is managed, cared for in some way, shape or form. I can't go to Walgreens. I can't go to the car wash. I can't go to the beauty shop. I can't run errands until and unless this child is managed, cared for on my hip with me in some way. So just the totality and the enormity that this human life is pretty much 100% dependent upon me, the sensation of that said, okay, this is my reality. And we talk about this, right? Radical acceptance. I said, that is, that's the job. That's the gig. The mommy clock never stops. And so I'm going to do this one time. I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. And then I'm tapping out. So hence I have one child and my mother having me that young, I, it was, I believe it was overwhelming for her. And when you have children that young and you start to see people in your life go off to college and do all the things and, you know, you're at home with a baby, I think that you start feeling some kind of way. And so there were periods in my early years where my mother was not around. She was at college or, you know, she moved off to pursue other opportunities. And so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother who was raising me in her absence, raising me in her stead. So me and my granny were like joined at the hip. And then there came the point where my mother said that she was moving away to another state. And I was devastated because it was like a death. (laughs) You know, as much as I love my grandmother, I believe that children always have a heart for their mothers. Kids always want their mamas. I have seen that so many times, like just born out, no matter how raggedy the relationship is or what have you, kids want their mamas. And so I, in the dealing with the the trauma of that, like she's leaving and she's not going to be here because leaving when she, when I was younger, I don't think I really understood, but when it got to a point where I did clearly understood that she was not going to be around, it was devastating. 
And one of the things that she did to kind of ease the burden or heal the wound or, you know, placate me at the time when she said, Shantae, trust me, this is only temporary. And when you get here, it's going to be me and you, and we're going to do this and that. And we're going to go here and there. And you're going to, it's going to be great. You're going to have your own room and all these other things. And so that was the carrot that was like, kind of like dangled in front of my nose. Like here are all the promises to, to make this transition better. Fast forward when it came time to make said transition. So now I'm like seven, eight years old. Now it's another devastating transition because now I got to leave granny, you know? So it's like, dang, you know, these, these are my people. These, this is my anchor, my rock. So now I got to go leave granny and go live with mom. But you know, mom said it's going to be all these things, right? So I get to where she is. So I relocate to another state and lo and behold, it's not just me and her. It's me, her, and a man that will come to terrorize our lives for years. Yeah, he was not a nice guy. (laughs) He was violent. He was arrogant. He was selfish. He was mean. And so from my young perspective, I'm thinking, okay, you snatch me out of the warm, loving, safe arms of my grandmother and brought me to this hell hole. Okay. And here's the thing. So when you grow up in a violent household and you experience like unsafe living conditions, you develop what is called a dysregulated stress system because you never know what you're going to expect in the house. You never know what's going to set it off, you know? And so we understand stress responses as fight, flight, freeze, right? Fight, flight, freeze. And during those times, so when there's things being broken and holes being punched in the wall and people are being abused and things like that, and I'm in my room hearing all of this, typically what should happen in a situation like that, when there's a child involved and that's being exposed to this type of thing, I think that the right thing to do in that scenario is for the parent who's being abused to go to the child and explain something (laughs) and say, you know what, I'm sorry this is happening. I know this is not what I promised. Please bear with me. I'm working on it. Um, I got a plan to get us out of this. Something. Say something to that effect. And that did not happen. That did not happen. The abuse would happen. And then we would just go on like it didn't happen. We'd just go on like the bruises weren't there. We would just grow on, go on and not talk about it. And I think that in hindsight, my mother was experiencing a lot of shame But while she was dealing with that shame, what that also meant was that she was not emotionally available to me. So when these crazy things are happening in your house and there is no comfort for you, there is no pat, pat, sway, sway, baby, it's going to be all right. Here's an ice cream cone. When there's none of that, the message that I received is you're on your own, kiddo. Yeah, there's some craziness happening, but you got to deal with it. You got to suck it up. You got to manage it yourself and your job is to just make sure that you don't make things worse or make him angrier or that sort of thing 
And so my mother was not emotionally available to me during those times because she was dealing with her own stuff. And so fast forward, what did the end? There were moments where there's something called displaced aggression. So the person that you're really angry with, you don't have the bandwidth or the courage or the wherewithal to really take out that frustration on that person because there's going to be consequences. And so you channel that to somebody else who can, who's not as threatening. And I found myself, unfortunately, on the end of that type of frustration and displaced anger and aggression. And so what that taught me is that one, you're on your own. Two, she's not there for you. You're there for her. It's your job to make sure that her life is easier, that you don't cause any more pain, drama, consternation, or what have you. Um, it also taught me that people are not genu- generally good people, that people are dangerous. And instead of fight, flight, or freeze, I went into something that's called dissociation. Dissociation, you might have heard about this. Sometimes uh, victims of sexual assault talk about how during the assault, they just kind of disappear into themselves. They just kind of check out mentally so that they can survive, so that they can cope, so that they can manage what's the trauma that's happening to them and somehow survive it. And I became very good at that. And I carried that. I carried that right into my marriage. My ex-husband will tell you, I was never the type to like fly off the handle, be throwing stuff, cussing out. I would just, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. Mm. Just a, a, an immediate emotional shutdown. And he interpreted that as you don't care. Later, you know, doing work, <clears throat> I realized it was a trauma response that <laughs> that like, oh, there's a conflict. There's a marital conflict. There's a spousal conflict. OK, you know how this works. Shut down, go inside, disappear. And so all of this kind of, you know, and eventually she left that relationship and the abuse and, and all the rest of it. But the damage had been done. Oh, baby, the damage had been done. And so. My teenage years, I was a hot mess. I had lost all respect for my mother. I had, I was rebellious. I was sneaking out, sneaking folks in. I mean, just all kinds of things. And my mother was at her wits end. She was at her wits end. Like this disobedient child, this disrespectful child, this whatever, whatever. And my, and you know, I'm, I'm throwing her out the house or I'm putting her in the home. And my grandmother was like, "Mm -mm, as long as I'm living, Shantae got a place to stay because, and this goes part and parcel to something I'm going to be sharing with you next week. Uh, Right now, Oprah has a book with Dr. I can't think of his first name, Dr. Perry called what happened to you. And what happened to you is all about the effects of how the brain develops with respect to childhood trauma. And so Was I a rebellious teenager? Yes. Was I acting out? Yes. Was I disrespectful? Yeah. Was I not listening? Yeah. But that's not normal behavior for a healthy child. And so the presumption is always, what's wrong with that child? Whereas this book I'm reading with Oprah and Dr. Perry 
It's like, it's not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? And so my behavior was consistent with somebody who had, with a child who had been routinely traumatized (laughs) with someone who's had a dysregulated stress system and and all of those things. But of course, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, we didn't have that vocabulary. We didn't have that wherewithal. Black folks wasn't going to therapy. And so we just muddled on. And fast forward, this all came to a head because, you know, bygones are bygones, right? I've grown up, I've gotten a doctoral degree. And when I think about my life and all of the quote unquote achievements, all the boxes that I've checked, it comes from that place of thinking that I was not worthy, thinking that I was not valued, thinking that I'm on my own. And so I've been doing all, had been doing all of these performative tasks, like, look at me, I'm worth caring about. Look at me, I'm worth, you know, paying attention to. Look at me, I've done something good, that sort of thing. And now it all came to a head when my mother her heart, not her heart condition, her lung condition had deteriorated to the point where she needed help, where she couldn't drive herself around, where she couldn't manage doctor's appointments and things like that. And during that period of time, and certainly during the surgery and post-surgery, I had found myself growing increasingly agitated. I was growing increasingly distant and annoyed, like I'm just going to tell you flat out, I did not want to help her. I didn't want to help her. And I could not reconcile this. I could not make sense of it. I said, Shantae, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Your mother is sick. Why don't you want to help her? What, like, what kind of person are you? What kind of Christian are you? I mean, I was berating myself like you would not believe. And so I started drinking a lot and I'm eating and binging and just all kinds of things. And I'm like, Shantae, what are you doing? Like you are literally breaking down. You are living so contrary to who you are, who you profess to be. Like what is going on with you? And so to therapy, I went. And here's what I realized in therapy. That I did not have the gift and the luxury, quite frankly, of a childhood. Did we do fun things? Sure. <laughs> Did we go fun places? Sure. You know, I I had my share of trips to showbiz pizza and uh, roller skating and all those types of things. And I was abused and I was neglected and I was traumatized. And Part of my mother's expectations of me as a young child were to carry a load that young children just shouldn't have to carry. And so I I interpreted that as she depended on me to make her life easier, to make things palatable, to make, to not make things worse. And so I had to do a lot of that work on my own as a kid, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, a kid. And what I realized is that her sickness, her illness, that needing me again like that triggered all of that 
stuff. It brought it right back to the surface because it's not like this is something that was ever discussed or resolved or what have you. It was just buried because that's what we do, right? We suck it up and we soldier on. And so my mother's state of neediness and debilitation brought me right back to her state of neediness and debilitation when we were going through all of that trauma. And because she leaned on me so heavily to carry this load on my own as a child, it's kind of like she had, she had cashed in her tokens early. So when you have a normal, healthy trajectory of life and development, you know, the parent takes care of you. They're there for you. You know, they kind of pour all their resources and sacrifices into you. And that was not consistently the case. I'm not going to say my mother didn't make sacrifices for me. Of course she did. At the same time, there were a lot of things that were asked of me too soon. I had to grow up too soon. So she cashed in those tickets really early in my life. And so now when she needed them for real, for real, like on the back end of her life, I'm sitting up here empty and broken. Like, sorry, you out of tokens, you out of tickets. I mean, and so what I started to do was what I had learned to do. I would dissociate. So I would do it, but with gritted teeth, I would do it, but not a whole lot of interaction. I would do it, you know, but just kind of disappeared into myself with no emotional bandwidth or engagement. And after many months on the therapist's couch, hammering all this out and all the ways that it was manifesting and all of the things that had come from it. Finally, my therapist was like, I think you should bring your mom into a session and tell her how you feel. And I was like, what? Like, I felt so betrayed. I was like, this is, this is my, this is our space. This is my turf. This is my safe, blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, you know, and then she pulled the dirty card. She was like, I mean, you keep talking about being whole and complete. And I just think that that would be the whole and complete thing to do. And so I really wrestled. I wrestled and wrestled and finally agreed um, to bring my mother into one of the sessions and laid it all out you know, laid it out, how, what she did, how it made me feel and, and all the things. And subsequently, you know, she said, well, what do you want your mom to do? Like, you know, are you looking for an apology? Are you looking for like, what are you looking for? And all I wanted was for my mother to go to therapy. I think that she had a lot of things that were not resolved. And I think that because those things were not resolved, it was resulting in some patterns of current behavior. Like I can, I mean, I can forgive the past. I mean, the past is the past and that sort of things, but there were things and ways of being that she was doing currently that brought all of these feelings back up. And I'm like, I feel like if you just go to therapy and do your own inner work and self-work and resolve some of these things, then it's just better for everybody. As you become better, your interactions become better. Communications become better. All of those things. And my mother declined. I'll just leave it at that. She declined. And so, <laughs> um, and now we have a, a clear understanding, you know, what I think she wanted. She kind of had this vision that we would be like mother daughter and we would be friends and sisters in Christ and things like that. And what that requires is emotional bandwidth and engagement from me to like really lean into that. And I am not at a place where I can do that because I'm still working through 
I'm still working through. And there are times now, you know, where I go, go it alone or do things alone. And I was like, well, you know, you could have asked us for help. And I'm still not there because in my mind, I'm like, no, help is not available. Like you're not one of the people that I can ask for help. I learned to suck it up, soldier on, you're on your own kiddo. And so those are the tapes that I have to stop playing in my head. And so I say all this to say, do me and my mother have a bad relationship? No, it's not acrimonious or or none of that. And I think that my mother now has a, a clearer understanding of how all of those things in the past really impacted me. My mother is a licensed professional counselor, by the way. She's a therapist. Huzzah. <laughs> and um, so she understands it. Um, and And now her expectations of me are very different. We just have a very clear understanding of where the, the lines are drawn, what can be expected, what can't be expected. Like, everybody is is clear on where we stand and i appreciate that because at least it's coming from this honest place you know it's it's honest and it's not with all this built up resentment and and things like that and i share all of this i share all this not to disparage my mother my mother is a good person i love her to death you know all the things and i'm not just saying that like all the things i i love my mom and at the same time I can acknowledge that there are some things that she did, didn't do, taught me, exposed me to that left some very real residue (laughs) in my psyche, in my communication, in my patterns of behavior that I am still working to erase and undo. It's not that trauma cannot be overcome. It can absolutely be overcome. And actually one of the best ways to heal trauma is through loving, connected relationships. And that's something that I'm also working through because in general, I keep people at arm's length. I'm like, "Mm -mm, people are not safe, you know, and I really have to know you for a length of time before I will will open up the door so that's why a lot of people uh I've heard this so many times like oh I thought you were stuck up or I thought you were mean or I thought you were you know whatever and it's like no and it's just me working through my stuff so I say all of this to say (laughs) that for those of you who have difficult relationships complicated relationships complex relationships with your mother I get that I completely get that. I understand that. And I can tell you that there is hope and healing and it's a process and it's not a quick process, but it's, it's certainly one that you can grow from and heal from and have some language and some tools to, to use that will equip you to determine how you want to apply them to patterns of behavior in your own life. And so next week, the next episode, we are going to do a deeper dive into kind of like the neurological scientific pieces of what happened to you when you experience trauma and wounds, especially wounds that come from a mother or a parent or caregiver, mama trauma, how those things manifest in adulthood. So what those patterns can show in your adult life and what are some things that you can do to turn them around 
So if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shantae Says on Twitter, on Instagram, and I will see you guys next time.